0: Hi, I'm your host, Doug Berg, and welcome to Berg's Brain, a storytelling comedy show that will hopefully make you laugh, make you think, and make you want more. On this episode focusing on dogs, I'll cover topics from Humane Societies versus Pounds, to those famous poker-playing pooches, to how chihuahuas really got their name, and to the oh-so-lovely lavender-scented poop bag, and to a dog park run-in with an anti-Semitic German Shepherd, and many, many more topics. So jump aboard the train, get a little insane, get inside Berg's Brain. Berg's Brain is sponsored by AAA the American Automobile Association, and its newest AAA locations in Miami and Israel. AAA is proud to announce we've branded these new locations to closely connect to our local customers. So we've changed our name in Miami and Israel from AAA to Triple AAA. AAA will specifically cater to these incredibly large Orthodox Jewish populations, and since Orthodox Jews don't drive on Sabbath, there's no emergency roadside service from sundown Friday, Till sunset Saturday, so we can pass along the savings to our Miami and Israeli members. Triple OI reserves the right to tow only male drivers that can prove they've had a bris and female drivers that excel at inflicting extreme guilt upon our tow truck drivers like only a good Jewish mother can. Triple OI, will drive you my sugar. Play us away, Peapod. Growing up, we always had dogs, but it's been years since I had one, and with all the craziness that went on in the world last year, and is definitely still going on, thought it'd be a good time to do a kind deed and get a rescue dog. So a few weeks ago, I went to the Pound, and guess I'm dating myself a bit, as that's what we called it when I was growing up. Now there are kennels, animal shelters, humane societies, animal sanctuaries. Dog living in the Pound's fighting for its life. Dog lounging in an animal sanctuary sounds like a spa where French poodles Fifi and Fru-Fru get mani-pedis and drink out of toilets with slices of lemon in them. And being old school, I wanted a dog that looked like a pound dog. Tough, scary, with some of that pound dog attitude. So I spot, no pun intended, some kind of chihuahua mix. And any dog that's got chihuahua in it, you know's a badass. Not a drop of fur runs the mean streets of Mexico, has that big dog and the little dog body mentality. Chihuahuas don't put up with shit. You're at a dog park and some well-groomed, unsuspecting suburban labradoodle leans in for the butt sniff. Cholo Chihuahua is going to turn that purebred into a labradoodle. And back to the name Spot for a dog. Spot goes all the way back to the 19th century and the beginnings of the Dalmatian breed. Much simpler time in the 1800s. You see a dog covered in spots, you call him spot. And these spotted hounds were used extensively by the New York City Fire Department back in the 1870s. See, back then fire equipment was horse-drawn, so the dogs came in as guards clearing the way in front of the horses. When motor vehicles came onto the scene, horses left, but the Dalmatian stayed. And that's why to this day just about everybody associates the Dalmatian with firemen. But what's not as well known is that these spotted pooches are also regularly used by pet psychiatrists. Fido or Rover's feeling kind of down, not showing his typical cat-chasing, mailman-attacking, rolling-and-duck-poop, kitty-litter-eating vigor. Bring him to see pet psychiatrist Patty, and this Charlton shrink will bring out a real-life Dalmatian to perform a 3D Rorschach test. "'What do these spots remind you of, Champ?' asks Patty, to which Champ replies, "'Nothing, because Champ can't talk. Champ's a dog. Champ doesn't need a psychiatrist. Champ needs a treat.' Champ needs a chew toy. Champ needs a leg. Any leg. Not a unique or especially sexy leg. Trust me, Champ is open to a multitude of legs, maybe even an unfortunate scurvy ridden pirate's leg, to obscenely and frenetically hump. On the other hand, who am I to say we should limit man's best friend to two dimensional ink blots on paper when they got a real life three dimensional bro of their own? And by the way, man's best friend? You're a man, and your best friend's a shih tzu, not another guy who you can pound Bud Lights with, dude. Your shit's out of luck. And notice how there's no woman's best friend pet. Men have a best friend pet, but not women. Women should have a best friend pet. Now for women, can't have the dog, because the dog's taken, and don't want to stereotype it and say a cat, because let's face it, cats aren't anybody's best friend. They're aloof, unpredictable, evil. The only redeeming quality I can see for a cat as if you lose your emery board. And guys, that's a cool rebranded way to say nail file. So if you lose this filing device, grab a cat and have Kitty lick your fingertips for a few secs, and your nails will feel perfectly manicured, like you spent a relaxing, devil-may-care afternoon-being-pampered-at-fingers-and-toes nail swan. And look, women really wouldn't want their best friend to be a cat, because if you're a woman whose best friend is a cat, you're on the precipice of getting that condescending nickname, Cat Lady, Ladies, it's not really a friendship. It's more of a major neurosis. And in addition, when women are mean and nasty to each other, we say they're being catty. Not a very positive description. So women can't have the dog as best friend and pretty confident they don't want a cat best friend. And while women don't have a pet best friend, they do have an inanimate best friend. And that inanimate best friend is another clear example of why women are smarter than men. See, man's best friend is a slobbering, blubbering, leg-humping, pooping machine... A girl's best friend? Diamonds. Thus the phrase, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Sure, a diamond might need an occasional cleaning, but you don't have to feed a diamond, walk a diamond, use a lavender-scented poop bag to pick up poop from your diamond. Your diamond doesn't bark incessantly when a doorbell rings on a TV show that man's best friend never seems to figure out isn't an actual doorbell. Your diamond doesn't need rabies, distemper, or parvo shots every goddamn year. Man's best friend makes us pick up shit after him. Girl's best friend glistens and sparkles. Man's best friend possesses four characteristics known as the four P's. Plays, pounces, pisses, and poops. Four characteristics of a girl's best friend are known as the four C's. Carrot, cut, color, and clarity. can tell you from many an early morning walk, the cut of my dog's poop is supersized Tootsie Roll. The color is chocolate brown. In terms of clarity, there is none and carrot size typically a good 50-plus or more. My dog's poop give the Hope Diamond an inferiority complex. But it's just another example of the masculine-side-feminine-side divide. Do you ever notice that if a guy sensitive, shares his feelings, likes to snuggle... We say he's in touch with his feminine side, which is a good thing. Thought of in high regard and vigorously praised. You're vulnerable. You care. You emote. You're in touch with your feminine side a very positive association. Notice, however, you never hear it in reverse. Never hear a woman said to be in touch with her masculine side. Don't hear that. Not in our vocabulary. Couldn't it be positive when you're describing a woman to say she's in touch with her masculine side? Why shouldn't it be? Seems kind of sexist if you ask me. You know, Fred, your wife Judy's super cool, tells a great joke, mixes hell of a cocktail, rips a mean goddamn fart. By golly, that woman's in touch with her masculine side. Translation. Judy's more direct, less ambiguous, simpler, can kill a spider, forget an anniversary. Hell, forget every anniversary. Zone out when you're talking to her. Wears the same underwear for a week, maybe two. And Judy understands that the last two minutes of a football game is merely a time estimate. And Judy, being in touch with her masculine side, doesn't tell a story that should take no more than 15 seconds, yet every single solitary time she tells you a story, she extends that story into a goddamn James Michener novel. So back at the pound where I pick out this little 8-pound mighty mite, and you can clearly tell he's a pound dog because he's covered with tattoos. I heart Mexico. Yo, bitch, I ain't yo, bitch. God spelled backwards is me, motherfucker. And as I looked closer, I noticed this Tijuana Tuffy had the letters A-V-A-B tattooed on the four nails of his tiny front left paw. Never seen anything like that before, so I asked one of the animal shelter slash animal sanctuary slash spa volunteers, and she said, it's a takeoff on the letters A-C-A-B. Prisoners get tattooed across their knuckles. According to the animal shelter slash animal sanctuary slash spa volunteer, A-C-A-B stands for All Cops Are Bad and A-V-A-B stands for All Veterinarians Are Bitches, which was a rather unexpected explanation from the wholesome, pet-loving 15-year-old volunteer girl, but her comment did reinforce my choice to go with the crate-sleeping apparatus versus having the little jailbird crash in my bed. And in addition to their toughness, what amazes me about chihuahuas is they don't limit mating to other chihuahuas. Chihuahuas are an equal-opportunity pooch. They don't bat an eye, or more anatomically targeted, they don't bat their vagina when it comes to sleeping with any breed of hound. And here's the mind-blowing, hard-to-get-out-of-your-head visual. The size of a Chihuahua's fuck-buddy makes not one bit of difference. You have got as good a chance of seeing a Chihuahua-Jack Russell mix as a Chihuahua-Doberman pairing. Hell, I've seen Chihuahua-Great Dane combos. These little bastards will bang anything. And your first thought, your first image, is of this little poor Chihuahua taking it from behind, doggy-style, by a giant, rabid mongrel. Guess I don't need to say doggy-style when two dogs are doing it. That's just their style. Can just see a bunch of puffed-up peacock-strutting canines sitting around the pound shooting the shit. You serious, dog? Yeah, I'm serious, dog. Humans call fucking from behind doggy-style. That's our move, motherfucker, as they bust up and give each other high paws. And in the well-known yet mysterious mythological what-the-fuck-is-all-this-kama-sutra-sex-position shit world, Other sex positions just don't have the bravado, the intensity, the raw, wild cachet of doggy style. There's cowgirl style, or woman on top, guess because she's kind of riding a horse. Based on our last cowgirl session, my wife, Fanny Oakley, is thinking of sending this broken-down horse to the Gary the Gelding glue factory. And to add insult to injury, Fanny says I'm not Elmer's Glue Factory worthy. Fanny wants to send me off to some knockoff glue factory for old guys called Elder's Glue. But what really got my goat, and sorry for the jump cut to goats when we've been keenly focused on dogs and horses, the thing that stung the most was after her last ride, she contemplated shoot me. And not because I broke my leg and needed to be put out of my misery, she was going to shoot me to put her out of her misery. Then there's that reverse cowgirl position. Woman on top facing away towards your feet like some kind of porn star podiatrist. Whenever my wife gets in that porn star podiatrist position... I get the sneaking position that she snuck away unnoticed to a two-week dude camp where she mastered the art of backwards trick riding with Calhan's Colt, Bronco, and Gunner. Then there's that soft, romantic, flatware position, i.e. spooning. And by the way, what's with the IEBS? I looked it up and I.E. is the abbreviation for the Latin phrase id-est, meaning in other words. Why don't we just say in other words? What lexicon artists decided that the phrase in other words was a bit too much, unnecessary, superfluous, so over-the-top exhausting to say that we had to abbreviate it to I.E. And these lunatic linguists weren't satisfied with the reduction of words and time saving I.E. gave us, so they came up with EG, another Latin abbreviation that stands for exempli gratia and means for example. What? The Romans were so fucking busy they had to look for ways to cut a few two- or three-word-rarely-used phrases out of their orations? Can't you just see Tiberius and Augustus, adorned in their finest form-fitting togas, waiting in the line at the Colosseum for one of those Lion v. Christians one-sided contests, discussing the upcoming slaughter with one saying to the other, Thank the gods Pliny the Elder put forth that brilliant abbreviation of I.E., I was gasping for breath, literally suffocating having to say that horrible, unrelenting, back-breaking, tongue-twisting phrase, in other words, once or twice over the last 11 years. And as far back as early Broadway theater, the first talkies, and even in present-day movies and shows, when the story's set in ancient Rome like the film Gladiator, why the hell do Romans always have British goddamn accents? Just once, I'd love to see Nero or Caesar or a simple common plebe turn to another Roman dude and in Joe Pesci, New Jersey, tough guy accent say, Yo, Mark Acerilli ass, I can seize your fucking balls hanging from your fucking toga, asshole. Would it kill you to throw on a fucking jockstrap shit for brains? Anyway, back to the spooning position. See, at my age and after 30 years of marriage, spooning is not so much a sex position. Spooning's what my wife and I call asking an irritated, acne-faced teenage Baskin-Robbins server for 15 or 20 tiny pink taster spoons, after which we, and the entire global population, always orders good old chocolate fucking chip. And then there's that rather uncomfortably named, religiously connotated, man-on-top, missionary position. By definition, a missionary is a person sent on a religious mission, especially to promote Christianity in a foreign country. So basically, this position was named after thousands of white Anglo-Saxon douchebags traveling to Asia, Africa, South America, and parts unknown promoting Christianity, spreading the word of God by spreading the legs of unsuspecting women and the all-too-frequent young boy. According to the well-known yet mysterious mythological what-the-fuck-is-all-this-Kama-Sutra sex position shit, missionary position is regarded as the romantic position because the couples face each other, maintain eye contact, and here's the kicker, the couples can hold each other in their arms, which can easily segue into cuddling when sex is over. Guys, next time you see a missionary walking down the block, Bible in hand, maintain eye contact, hold each other in your arms, and just before the two of you cuddle, punch the son of a bitch right in the fucking face, as now you know it was the goddamn missionaries who instigated post-sex cuddling. And back to doggy style for a sec. Notice how we call it doggy style, not dog style. We cuten it up and give it that youthful added I-E, dog-E ending. It just sounds cuter, friskier, more playful than dog style. If you told a buddy your wife's favorite position was dog style, he'd picture your wife as a devil-worshipping, gothic, she-beast, nymphomaniac slut witch. And yet, we don't cuten the word doggy all the way up and say, Oh my God, we had the best sex last night. My wife and I went in for hours puppy style. Puppy style just sounds wrong and well illegal. It's borderline pedophile animal cruelty. And while puppy style sounds disgusting for making love, when you're young and in love, we do call that puppy love. Man, the dog marketing lobbies clearly got some pull as they've branded both cute, sweet, innocent puppy love and sweaty, dirty, nasty, rabid doggy style. Although they did get a little competition around the innocent, cute kind of puppy love back in the 70s from the Captain and Tenil's hit song, Muskrat Love. Rolling Stone magazine describes the song Muskrat Love as a soft rock song depicting a romantic liaison between two anthropomorphic muskrats named Susie and Sam. Anthropomorphic muskrats? Susie and Sam? And you thought the Grateful Dead dropped a lot of acid. The guy who wrote lyrics about anthropomorphic rodents named Susie and Sam must have been dipped in a vat of LSD for days. And back to the dog lobby's branding of doggy style... Another oddity is that sex-from-behind position isn't limited to dogs. Plenty of other animals, in fact, most animals, if not all animals, fuck from behind. And yet doggies somehow branded the move. Horses, goats, chickens, they all fuck from behind, but no one says, last night was amazing, we banged horsey style, or goaty style, or chickeny style. So back to the chihuahuas and these poor little pooches getting banged from much bigger dogs. I mean, how does some six-pound Mexicali mighty mite take it doggy style from an angry 145-pound Rottweiler? Picture that. It ain't a pretty picture. It's no painting of dogs sitting around playing poker. And notice how in every one of these dog-playing card paintings, only card game these dogs are playing is poker. Never see dogs playing hearts, spades, or bridge. Hell, these poker pooches ain't even playing basic games like War, Crazy Eights, Old mate, or Go Fish. You're a dog? You're playing cards? It's goddamn poker. It's always cards and it's always poker. Not one means you might in the checkers or chess. So it appears dogs, in addition to being man's best friend, have a strong predilection towards gambling in the high-stakes game of Texas Hold'em. Imagine soon we'll be seeing a pit bull, the dog breed, not the performer, at the final table of the damn world series of poker. And wouldn't surprise me in the least if at my next Gambler's Anonymous meeting, the guy sitting next to me is a St. Bernard, who based on his gambling debts, ain't such a saint. Thing I'm really waiting for is the outrageous Sotheby's auction of that private collection, secret unknown masterpiece of dog's plan, Strip Poker. That ought to fetch a pretty penny. And why is the only Strip Game Poker? Did the poker people trademark Strip Games so no other card game can be Strip? Ever played one game of Strip Gin Rummy, Strip Cribbage, Strip Canasta, or Strip Bridge? On second thought, with the age of most Rummy, Cribbage, Canasta, and Bridge players being well above 70, maybe Strip versions of these games aren't such a great idea. Forget about the wrinkles, age spots, and sagging skin, it'd just take too damn long as by the time Sadie, Esther, or Rose got out of their lumbar corset girdle contraptions, Harry, Max, and Oscar would have fallen asleep. And I know a thing or two about Strip games. Because back when I was single and struggling to land a date, I spent many a lonely Saturday night plan strip solitaire. And trust me, losing at solitaire and having to strip in front of myself was no picnic. The only fun part of being a solitaire stripper was getting to stuff my own dollars into my own G-string, i.e. tidy whities You know, the i-e thing is actually alright. Getting rid of the words for example is so freeing and cathartic. I can't wait to use an e-g. Truth be told... Playing strip solitaire got me a tad worked up. There were more than a few occasions where I laid out a face-up pile of those four regally attired dolled-up queens, and let's just say after a few glances at these royal beauties, I tended to muck my hand, which resulted in a bad beat, after which I'd limp in, flop, fold, and it's true what they say about whacking off. I went big blind! And in the spirit of transparency, it wasn't just those four regal queens that got me going. I threw in more than my fair share of anties, check-raised my dwindling short stack, had the nuts that I massaged ever so gently, took a huge bong hit to relax so I was pot-committed, and slow-played, with myself, before recklessly going all in in a voyeuristic frenzy fantasy being looked upon by these four hunky jacks. And for some unexplainable reason, I was especially turned on by those two manly, sexy, leering, one-eyed jacks. I tried to fight the attraction, but those jacks knew they had me, I mean, when your tell is spooching on the river card, chances are you're not going to make it to the final table. You can make it on the final table, but not to the final table. And if we're going to limit strip card games to strip poker, so be it. I'm fine with that. But what about other non-card games? How about a tantalizing game of strip backgammon, strip mahjong, or strip Chinese checkers? And with all these different versions, they've come out with Monopoly, Pictionary, or Trivial Pursuit. Don't you think throwing the word strip before these classic games would get you a little bit more excited to play board games Saturday night at Ted and Alice's? Think about it. Stripopoly, striptionary, or strip trivial let's get you out of that suit and into your birthday suit pursuit. And back to those famous dog plan poker paintings. Notice that the poker-playing pooches are all bigger dogs? Staffordshire Bull Terrier, English Bulldog, Boxer, St. Bernard, Great Dane, Mastiff, Cane, Corso, Bloodhound, Rough Collie. What, little dogs not into poker? They more into shooting craps? Guess if you're not a big dog, couldn't reach across the table to rake in a pot? If you're not a big dog, how are you going to hide an ace up your paw? Or maybe the dogs are simply bigger breeds because their paws have enough girth to hold a few cards. Because if a tiny chihuahua dachshund or shih tzu tried to hold their cards, those cards would most likely slip right through their little paws falling on the table for everyone to see. And if a shih tzu can't bluff, well, their shit's out of luck. But I digress. So back to chihuahuas and these poor little pooches getting banged by much bigger dogs. It just doesn't seem physically possible, does it? For all I know, these little pint-sized sex toys could fuck a horse. I wouldn't be shocked if some crazy socialite thoroughbred-owning bastard paid a stud fee to have Secretariat bang his prize, Gigi. I mean, if you put what chihuahuas do sexually on a human scale, you and I'd be taking it up the ass from a brontosaurus. And most people assume these adorable urban pups are named after the city in Mexico called Chihuahua. I think these little horn dogs got their names from the sound they make when a big dog does his business from behind chihuahua! Or maybe in Spanish it's actually chihuahua! Look, if I were a chihuahua and some 97-pound bull mastiff saddled up behind me, I'd be yelling, chihuahua, why are you doing this to me? Or chihuahua, what is wrong with you, you not-so-great Dane? Or chihuahua, what the fuck? And it's odd to me that as much as chihuahuas fuck. Somehow rabbits and bunnies cornered the fucking reference market, as in, our neighbors next door over there fucking like rabbits. Look, I get the logic behind the rabbit bunny sex reference icon, short gestation period, big litters with lots of offspring, soft, fuzzy, and cuddly, but I'll put my pesos on chihuahuas any day. You never hear anyone say they had the best sex of their life banging away bunny style, not even on Easter. Bunnies may bang a lot, but they're domesticated, monogamous, mate-for-life, family-oriented little cottontails. Not so the chihuahua. Chihuahuas are like, I don't care how grandissimo you are. You got the penny? Get back there and fee for thy shit out of me, hombre. Trust me, nobody wants anything to do with banging a chihuahua. But a chihuahua, if they have no issue stripping a pit bull, you think they got a problem being on the receiving end of that lame-ass energizer bunny? Chihuahuas could fuck rabbits with their paws tied behind their backs. It just seems a hell of a lot more appropriate to hear someone say, those newlyweds over there are stripping like chihuahuas. And besides bunnies, you know the other two species that oddly have market share in the sex world? The birds and the bees. The two main protagonists in that painful story your parents share with you, and you have to share with your kids. Which is strange, because you never think of birds and bees having sex. Ever hear anyone say, Those swingers across the street fuck like bumblebees. Or back in college, I railed like a fucking finch. Honestly, I have no idea how these two species even have sex. You ever see a Blue Jay's testicles or a Yellow Jacket's vagina? Never. But I've definitely seen my share of Chihuahua balls. Hell, my little chihuahua's balls hang lower than my 87-year-old Uncle Morty's balls, who we have to leave an empty cool-up container in the bathroom for when he visits during the holiday so he can scoop out enough water so his boys don't splash down like the Apollo 11 capsule landing in the Pacific after the first moon landing. One small step for man, one giant splash for Uncle Morty's nuts. And my dad had no idea how to explain the birds and the bees to me. This is how it went when I was 13. Okay, son, you just got bar mitzvahed, so in the Jewish religion, you're now a man. So like every dad has done since the annals of time. Uh, I think you mean annals of time, dad. Annals, annals, whatever. So what do you know about the birds and the bees? The things that fly around in the yard all summer? Yeah, Einstein, see? Bees pollinate flowers, so they bloom. And mama birds lay eggs that hatch into baby birds. Capish? Pretty clear on biology, Pop. Thank God, what a relief. Well, since you got a handle on it, go to run to the deli, pick up some bagels and lux, and wait till I tell your mom that we got a little Dr. Kinsey living under our goddamn roof. Cut. End of scene. Wrap. That's what my dad taught me. And it must be genetic, because when it came time for the birds and bees conversation with my 13-year-old son, I had no idea what to say either. Here's how it went. Okay, son, you just got bar mitzvah, so in the Jewish religion, you're now a man. So, like, every dad has done since the annals of time. I think you mean annals of time, Dad, as he snickered like Beavis or Butthead or both. Look, son, I want to talk to you about the birds and the bees. Thank God, Dad, because bird shit freaks me out and I fucking hate bees. Okay, well, that gives me a jumping off point. See, birds and bees, uh, they fly and, uh, have wings and, uh, one has a beak and, uh, the other a stinger. We can jump past the biology 101, Dad. Okay, well, see, bees deposits pollen into flowers. Kind of the same when you deposit money in the ATM machine, Dad. That's a fair analogy, son. So in that example, Dad, mom's like the ATM machine? Well, her expertise isn't so much deposit. Her strong suit's more in the withdrawals. Do you ever do a withdrawal, Dad? Kind of wish I would have done that about 13 years ago. What, Dad. Nothing. Let's keep the bank metaphor going. See, the transaction starts when I put my card in, touch a few buttons. What's the best thing to do first, Dad? Put your card in or touch a few buttons? Kind of depends on how much your mother and I have had to drink. To drink? So I've touched some buttons, inserted my card, pulled out my card, and voila, money. Kind of like making a baby. Since kids don't use ATMs now, Dad, we Venmo, is that kind of like whacking off? You know, let's scrap the birds and bees and banking metaphors and talk about bunnies and chihuahuas. See, people who fuck a lot are said to fuck like bunnies, and chihuahuas, they pretty much fuck anything. Well, glad we had this talk, son. Gotta to run to the bank. Okay, dad, don't forget to push mom's buttons. Cut, end of scene, rap. That's what I taught my son. So back to my rescued chihuahua. I bring him home and figure I'd better give him a name, because that way I got a 50-50 chance he'll come when I call him. So I decided to do that Native American thing where you name something after the way it looks or acts, like that Kevin Costner movie's Dances with Wolves. So I was going to call him shits all over the place, but I already have a kid named that. So one Saturday afternoon, I was looking for a tool in the garage, and the pooch helped me find it by digging it out from the tarp, so I named him Help. And maybe not the best of names, because when I let him out late at night and he doesn't come back, I'm on the front porch yelling, Help! Help! And my neighbors come running which I find rather odd because I had no idea there were that many people living in my neighborhood named Help. So the first few days were going well. Then I noticed Help was acting kind of sad and depressed. I called the shelter and a volunteer said it's very typical as they've been around a lot of dogs and now they're all alone. So she said a surefire fix is to get a second dog. So the next day I go back to the pound and rescue another Chihuahua mix, apparently a close buddy of Helps and in the same gang based on the type and number of tattoos. My favorite being a tattoo with his nose near the butt of another dog with the caption, Born to sniff butt? So I bring home Helps' gangmate and notice an immediate change in Helps' disposition. He's calm, happy, more energetic. Remembering what the volunteers said of the companion pub as a fire fix, I decided to do that same Native American naming thing and opted to call the second pooch surefire, or fire for short. And just like with Help, maybe fire wasn't the best of names, as now when I let both out late at night and neither comes back... I'm on the front porch yelling, help, fire, and even more of my neighbors come running, which I again find bizarre because it appears there are even more people in my neighborhood named fire than help. So I'm really happy and enjoying both dogs, and they get along great. But since these are the first two dogs I've ever owned, I'm learning some interesting things. First, I had no idea how many walks these little fertilizing Fidos need. But the pups get super excited, I get a little exercise, and it's a hell of a lot better than cleaning up poop all over the house, or more importantly, all over your yard. Because let me tell you, you don't clean up that poop in your yard every couple of days, you suddenly find these white, silvery, fuzzy, barbed, wiry, hairy-ish alien piles morphing into a science experiment gone horribly wrong. I think that planet Pluto, that's named after a Disney dog, that's no longer a planet, got its planet status revoked, not because it was too small to be a planet, I think there was just no way NASA was going to be able to convince astronauts to visit Pluto knowing full well that when they opened the Pluto module and climbed down that ladder, they'd be forever associated with and remembered for saying, that's one small step for man, one giant leap into a pile of white, silvery, fuzzy, barbed, wiry, hairyish, alien Disney dog shit for mankind. And back to dog walking. Gotta say, it's pretty funny watching these little guys do their genetically connected all the way back to the wolf dance to figure out just the right place to do their business which always struck me as an odd way to express dogs going to the bathroom. Doing their business? Like it's a job, an occupation, a career path. Hell, if I knew you could get paid for taking a shit, I'd have majored in agriculture and started a new green energy fertilizer company called Newer Manure. So on these walks, they sniff a little, sniff a little more, find an object, a plant, a fence, a car wheel, lift one of their hind legs and pee. dogs don't pee just once. They do a series of short, sporadic spurts throughout the entire walk. Imagine if this is how humans peed. You'd enter a bathroom, unzip your flyer, sit down on the toilet, pee, but you'd only pee about one-ninth of the full amount of what you have in your well-saturated bladder. You'd zip up, you'd wipe up, you'd wash up, then you'd walk down the hall in your house or office, go into another bathroom, unzip, sit, or both, and you'd pee at another fractional amount, maybe a quarter, maybe a third, maybe another ninth. And you'd repeat this process for 20 to 30 minutes until you finally peed out every last drop, zip up, wipe up, wash up, and then go about your business because you just did your business. Clearly, there's a lot of business here. In fact, this is big business. This isn't something to monkey around with, so none of that monkey business. And walking two male dogs, it's this constant game of one dog pees, then the other dog pees where the first one peed, then the first one re-pees over the second one's pee. Guess this marking activity goes all the way back to dog's genetic ancestry and the wolf in the wild. And I get the rationale for a wolf to mark its territory because it was a means for survival. But I got two little chihuahuas who sleep in my bed, get fed two meals a day, and have a lame-ass human picking up their poop in green lavender-scented bags. These pups are a long goddamn way from wolves in the wild. And then I realize I do the same damn thing. Wake up in the morning, my lovely wife gets up to pee, throws on her robe, heads to the kitchen to make a pot of coffee. I roll out of bed, walk over to the bathroom, and pee right where she did, immediately covering the scent where my wife just peed. I'm like a dog marking, or in my case, I'm a Doug marking. But for help and fire, and every other pooch, peeing's the easy part of the deal. When they need to poop, finding the perfect spot is like the search for the Holy Grail. They're bounding along, carefree, taking in the great outdoors, when suddenly, it's like they're on a fox hunt with the English monarchy, noses closely combing the ground, the once slack leash now pulled taut as if you've given the cry of mush to your Iditarod team, as they intently zero in on a spot. And as you extricate and open a lavender-scented poop bag from your coat pocket in preparation as they're about to pull the trigger, they suddenly change course in search of a different location. Now, they say it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind. I've come to learn it's a dog's prerogative to change its ass. And comparing a dog's search for the perfect place to poo on a human scale, it would be like walking into a restaurant bathroom with three stalls. You go into one, pull on the TP dispenser to see the ease at which the TP unravels, and you're just not completely thrilled with the feel. So you leave that stall and head to an adjacent one where you perform a test flush with your foot on that little silver handle as God knows no one in the right mind touches that germ-laden lever with their hand after which you determine the handle isn't as taut and responsive as you'd like, so you extract yourself from stall number two and hope for a better result in stall number three. Kinda like you're playing Lavatory Let's Make a Deal, where you've now passed on the first two doors to take door number three, and as you open the door, instead of finding the lovely and sexy Carol Merrill, you find a portly Jay Stewart secretly hiding in the stall dressed as one of those old-school bathroom attendants to zonk you. So again... While the peeing thing can be a bit frustrating, it's nothing compared to the stops and starts, the incredible indecisiveness, the zigs, the zags, the yes, 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 no dogs display when going number two. Now, on a nice warm summer day, not a huge deal, but this little lack of commitment cha-cha-cha is particularly frustrating walking the dogs on a freezing December morning. They've sniffed, they've twirled, they've exposed their expanding sphincter in a readiness to do their business. Then they stop, look back, shake their head, and if they could talk, they'd say, nope, not this spot. Close. Almost the one, but not quite. Oh hold on. Wait a minute. By golly, yes. I think I found it. This place is just right. Here we go. Damn. Sorry. False alarm. My bad. Let's keep walking, Mr. Keeper of the Lavender-Scented Poop Bags. Dog's laborious search for the exact place to poop is like a Miami Beach octogenarian searching for lost cufflinks on a crowded South Beach using a Garrett Ace Model 4000 metal detector. And with these two wishy-washy-waffling waggers to walk, Jesus Christ, should have named them Goldie and Locks after that little blonde nursery rhyme girl, Goldilocks, who had to try everything she needed three times like finding the perfect temperature for a bowl of porridge. Too hot, too cold, just right. Finding the perfect size chair. Too big. Way too big. Just right. And last but not least, finding the perfect firmness level after lying in three beds. Too hard. Too soft. Just right. I don't know about you, but Goldilocks sounds like a cross between that neurotic Sally in the movie When Harry Met Sally and my 97-year-old mom who fetches about every goddamn thing under the sun. And from the negative comments she makes about how goddamn hot it is in Miami, she ain't too thrilled with the sun either. Look, that Goldilocks might have been a cute little kid, but what a pain in the ass. Daddy, can I try this toothbrush to make sure it's not too soft? And then this toothbrush to make sure it's not too hard? And then I want to try another toothbrush to see if it's just right. You know what, Goldie? How about you get no toothbrush and your teeth rot out like a meth addict's? Maybe that would be just fucking right. And being Jewish, I hear the name Goldilocks. I'm not thinking golden flowing curly hair. I'm thinking of that mouth watering highest end special cut of salmon at the deli. You know, the gold standard, or in this case, the Goldie standard. Can just see some big macher at the deli counter. And by the way, if you're a macher, you're always big. There's no small, teeny tiny little person machers. You're a macher, you're a big macher. And can't you just see this big-gutted, big-chested, big-assed, big big gold chain wearing big-gold-chained-wearing-big-mouth leaning on the deli counter ordering to a naive 18-year-old kid? I'll take 77 pickled herring, 91 kanish, because kanish are like deer, and since there's no plural deers, there's no plural knishes. There's just kanish. And I want 91 goddamn kanish, not 90 like you gave me last goddamn time. Now you listen to me, you no-good schmendrick. I want the Goldilocks. Don't want that cheap, crappy, nut Goldilocks. Don't want silvery lux. Don't want coppery lux. Don't want that white gold Goldilocks. I want Goldilocks and only Goldilocks. You got that, boychick? And I love the Yiddish word, boychick. Originally a term of endearment back in the old country for a young boy or a young man... But nowadays, boy chick is what my nana calls our first cousin Isaac, our family's first transgender Orthodox Jew. He was a boy, now he's a chick, oy vey, a boy chick. Anyway, back to dogs pooping. Crazy thing is, scientists study this shit, Literally. They studied the circling, the spinning, the Michael Jackson moonwalk flamenco dancing backpaw kickback cover-up move. I found a recent study where a team of Czech and German researchers monitored 70 dogs of 37 breeds over a two-year period and witnessed a grand total of 1,893 deposits. I hear deposits. I think it's what I'm pretty good at doing at the bank. And as you're now well aware, my lovely wife excels at the opposite end of the spectrum, withdraws thereby completing the perfect yin and yang of married life and banking. These quote-unquote scientists found that most dogs circle before they poop and finish off with a glorious high kick or two, sending clumps of grass or dirt flying. Their theory behind these impressive gymnastics is that in the wild, canines such as wolves and dingoes kick the ground to cover up the mess and also to mark territory. Okay, that makes sense in the wild or when the earth was like 80 years old. But at present, my dogs live in an air-conditioned house sleep on a bed, get fed twice a day, and have a personal pooper picker-upper. Newsflash, Fido, your days as an alpha for way back in the distance of your rearview mirror, so maybe it's time you put an end to this disruptive, DNA-driven, dingo-deposit, dirty dancing. The other thing I learned about dog walking is how many of my neighbors have dogs, how many of my neighbors regularly walk their dogs, and how many of my neighbors are complete dog lunatics. One of my neighbors, Stuart, and he prefers Stuart, not Stu, is one of those guys who wears an orange vest with that silver reflective tape. And you get the feeling Stuart must be the lead team member or running for the lead team member on our neighborhood watch patrol. And if there's an earthquake, I'm fairly confident Stu's got a well-stocked bunker full of dry goods, water packs, and batteries. So while Stu's a complete and utter nerd, he's probably a good guy to get to know. And once the sun goes down, Stuart goes all in. Orange vest, Flashlight in one hand, a backup flashlight attached to his original Batman tool belt, and to top it off, Stu's wearing a goddamn headlamp. So I'm not sure if Stu's a dentist, preparing to bivouac El Capitan, or if he's on his way to a spine-tingling spelunking festival. And the lights don't end with Stu. All four of his toy poodles have little toy poodle lights hanging off their little toy poodle collars. Hey, Stu. Stu. If I wanted a goddamn light show, I'd get baked and head to the planetarium to gaze at the stars while blissfully serenaded to Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon. And then there's this Russian guy, Miroslav, or as my family refers to him, No Friendly. Miroslav slash No Friendly got his nickname because he has these two buff, wiry, short-haired terriers that are like canine piranhas. They could give a shit about a human, but the moment they see another dog, their sharp, not-too-little piranha teeth protrude in this run-for-your-life attack mode. So the first time I ran into Miroslav, his dog started going apeshit. And Miroslav, not being great at English, somewhat apologetically gathered his dogs, a.k.a. Canine Piranha, and said, No friendly! No friendly! No friendly! The first time he said it, it caught me off guard. So I replied, You're not friendly. Okay, pal. I'm cool with that. Teach your zone. I do appreciate you letting me know, as a lot of people don't say anything, and they stab you right in the back. It was only after a few more run-ins that I figured out he was talking about the dogs not him. Funny thing is, No Friendly's actually really friendly, but not as dogs to other dogs. So when our paths cross, as they will inevitably do, since there's only so many different walks you can go on, No Friendly quickly ducks into a neighbor's driveway and gets his dogs out of sight, or gets down on a knee and distracts them through some special Russian mind control, thereby allowing me and my pups to sneak by praying his two piranha pups don't break free and tear the flesh off my dogs in a Moscow minute. And this whole dog walking experience has really taught me how different dogs and humans are. Two people walk by who don't know each other at all, or maybe know each other a little, there's a couple options. You either do the quick, courteous mannerly, hey, how's it going? Or some people aren't overly sociable, so they don't interact. So they just walk by, no hi, no hello, no acknowledgement, which is okay. I'm cool with that. Dogs, very different. Dogs walk by each other, they want immediate confrontation. They're balls to the wall. They're ready to throw down. They're yanking on their leashes, and you feel like you're deep-sea fishing and just landed a 1,500-pound marlin whose first deep dive and subsequent airborne leaps nearly pull you over the deck. I mean, you hear about guys in prisons having to be tough, trying to fight to prove how tough they are, what a badass they are. Look, it's one thing to paint that picture when you're in prison, but dogs act that way on a casual, relaxing Sunday morning stroll in a well-to-do neighborhood. And I've started to lose patience for this dog-eat-dog debacle. All the leashes get tangled, there's a damn good chance you're coming away with a deep gash, and you know the other walker will blame you for not controlling your mutt. At this point, when I'm walking my dogs, it's just better if I don't run into any other dog walkers, because when I see another dog walker, I get kind of cranky. I'm like, why the fuck are you walking your dog now? Couldn't you have waited? Walking my dogs, why the fuck are you walking your dogs? Least you could have done was send me a calendar invite letting me know your walking schedule. I don't want to see your dogs. You don't want to see my dogs. Let's plan this shit out. So to avoid this shit show, I looked online and found this really cool dog park a few miles from my house. I'm like, cool. Pups are going to love this. They'll enjoy the open space, and I'll get away from the dog walking neighbor freaks. Thing is, I quickly learned bizarre people don't only live in my neighborhood. They regularly frequent dog park. And we've all seen these canine, not-so-benign nut jobs. You've got the soft frisbee tosser and dog who's growing really tired of being repeatedly and endlessly tasked with catching a soft, slobbery, slimy frisbee chew toy. You know the dog's thinking, can you please stop throwing this lame fucking frisbee because with my damn DNA, I can't stop chasing it, and I want to stop chasing it really fucking bad. So how about you use some flabby fucking frisbee as a whoopee cushion and sit your fat ass down for a minute or two? Next, you've got the tennis ball tossing device wannabe professional highlight throwers who always seem a bit too serious and over demanding of their dogs, making them continuously fetch a damn ball chucked by some lazy lardass. And you know these dogs are praying highlight Harry will need Tommy John surgery in the very near future from the ongoing chucks, so he'll be forced to put that diabolical slinging contraption on the shelf for a year. Then you have those people, and there's a surprisingly large number of these not yet Darwin weeded out losers who think their dog's professionally trained and will come whenever they call them, And yet we all know, and are willing to bet all the tea in China, or all the coffee in Brazil, or all the Guinness in Ireland, or other examples of locations known for large amounts of beverages, but for some reason all the tea in China grab the naming rights, so China gets to be the go-to reference for a large amount of shit. We all know that when we hear the owner yelling, Come, Fido! Here, Rover! That Fido, Rover, and the rest of the pack ain't coming. Not now, not ever. They never do, never will. Let me tell you something, Mr. or Mrs. Irritating Clueless Expecting Your Dog to Come Owner, who thinks that after playing lame-ass fetch one time for ten minutes, you've got the country's top cattle chaser and grand prize winner at the Westminster Kennel Club. No, you don't. you got a dumb-ass dog, and you're a dumb-ass owner, and the pooch ain't coming when you call him. Now, while I do believe your dog ought to catch a break because he's a dog, and as a dog, be allowed to pop in for a chew toy or rinse off at PetSmart. You, on the other hand, should be limited to getting your lavender-scented poop bags at Pet Dumb. Then, every once in a while, you see that owner who looks a little shady, a little unfocused, their DOC, dog of choice, is the great white shark of the dog park? Yeah, the Pit Bull. You see the Pit Bull, you want to like the Pit Bull. It's a dog, for God's sakes. But the look reputation. The schizophrenic, unpredictable nature of this piece doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies, and you're on edge as we all know that at the drop of a hat, without any advance notice, Peter the Pitbull transforms into Dr. Jekyll, or Mr. Hyde, or whichever one of those characters is the one that snapped. And Pitbull owners kind of sense this, and are often confronted by this palpable, visceral fear. So they always come up and tell you how Pinky is the sweetest Pitbull in the world. After which you smile and realize it may be true that Pinky is the sweetest pit bull in the world, but then you realize this clueless psycho is comparing Pinky to other pit bulls. So it's not a great sell job. I don't know about you, but when there's a pit bull in dog park, or a pit bull anywhere for that matter, even one as sweet as Pinky, you're just praying you get out alive, or at least with most of your limbs intact. And see, the thing is, for the last 20, 30 years, pit bulls have been the shit. The meanest, scariest, toughest jaw latching onto you and never letting go badass dog. But back in the day, when I was growing up in the 70s, never heard of a pit bull. Back then, the meanest, scariest, toughest junkyard-protecting badass dog was the Doberman Pinscher. You walked by a fence, you walked by a yard, and out of nowhere, a Doberman ran at your ass? You fucking shit your pants, and anyone who says they didn't is a lying motherfucker. I can guarantee you not one person in history who tried to trespass on a property guarded by a Doberman Pinscher ever made it out alive. But since the pit bull came onto the scene... Dobermans are yesterday's news. you hardly see them. But these poor, once-dominant killer dogs are all hanging out in Adobe retirement home just shooting the shit. Hey, Dobie Juan Kenobi, still think you could take a pit bull? Don't get me started with them goddamn pit bulls. They latch on to you and never let go. Whoop they fuckin' do? Don't know if you saw the latest most dangerous dog rankings, one Kenobi, but Pipples are one, Rottweilers two, then it's us for Christ's sake. Drop a little piece of shit, Rottweilers. What you think of that, Dobie? Number three, Jesus H. Christ, that kind of shit make me want to fuck a goddamn chihuahua. So, back at dog park, Help and Fire are having a blast when this big, beautiful German shepherd bounds up and starts playing with Help and Fire. Help and Fire, Pound, not Animal Sanctuary Dogs, are fine, holding their own, and actually just about to take down the German Shepherd like a pack of hyena taking down an elderly, decrepit wildebeest. When a big brawny guy jogs over and says, No, Hitty, no, bad dog. I say, hey, it's fine. Their pound dogs used to be around big dogs. All good here. So Big Brawny Guy and I get to talking, and I say, Hitty, is that short for anything? It is, as a matter of fact, says Big Brawny Guy. Hitties short for Hitler. Well, the shock and surprise of hearing the dog's name is Hitler nearly caused me to puke into one of my lavender-scented poop bags. But I gathered myself and said, Excuse me, must have misheard what you said. Did you say Hitties short for Hitler? I did, said the big brawny guy. Um, are you part of a white supremacist group or, God forbid, a Nazi? White supremacist Nazi? Eh, no! No! Big brawny guy said, aghast, almost as if offended. Those fuckers disgust the shit out of me. Whew, well that's good to hear, I said, but you do understand calling your German shepherd Hitler could give the impression that you're affiliated with these appalling hate groups. He stroked his beard contemplatively and said, Jesus, didn't even think of that. Never crossed my big brawny mind. Really? Then why the fuck name your dog Hitler? He said... Thought it'd be kind of cute to raise up my arm, give Hittit a command to stay by my side and say, Heal Hitler! Heal Hitler! You know, kind of a spoof of Heil Hitler. Uh, yeah, I get the spoof. I just can't believe you're doing a spoof of Heil Hitler. I can see he's bummed, uncomfortable, so I say, Look, I get the attempted humor, slash incredible infliction of gut-wrenching emotional Holocaust remembrance pain in the wordplay, Heal Hitler. But hey, listen, funny's funny. Is funny. But a thought, a suggestion, if I may, just in case the heel-Hitler thing becomes an issue, which I have a sneaking suspicion it will, might want to think about changing Hitty's name. Jews, on the whole, not kind of a group particularly fond of Hitler, or anyone or anything named Adolf, for that matter, including Adolf's meat tenderizer, which is a product you're not likely to see in many a kosher kitchen. Jews would rather eat a steak the consistency of a soaking wet football than to tenderize a brisket with Adolf's meat tenderizer. So as a Jew of people who throughout history haven't done well when it comes to confrontation, unless that confrontation involves a waiter who can't serve the soup hot enough to burn through the roof of your mouth, can't make the toast crisp enough so one bite disintegrates into dust, or can't explain why you got charged for the substitution of cottage cheese instead of the hash browns. In this scenario, chews are pretty good. In fact, I'd say excellent, perhaps the best in the world, at confrontation. Y'all think we could get back to the idea of changing Hiddy's name? Chimes in, the slightly irritated big brawny guy. Yeah, sorry for that little tangent. See, what I recommend is changing Hiddy's name to Aki, short for Achilles. Why would I do that, says big brawny guy. Because when you want Aki to walk by your side, you point your right arm down, not up in a Heil movement and say, Achilles heel. Achilles heel. Get it? Achilles heel? As I point to that spot on the back of my foot? Big brawny guy stares at me for a sec, and I wonder if my suggestion has insulted him when he says, Aki, Achilles, Achilles heel, that's good. So you're going to rename Hiddy? You're going to rename him? Rename Hiddy, big brawny guy says. What are you, nuts? As he turns, walks away, and after a few steps, raises his arms up, commands Hiddy to heal Hitler, then looks back, shakes his head and says, Achilles heel is good, but it's no heel Hitler. And as I watched him walk away, I could have sworn he was striding in that Nazi goose step motion. I remember as a kid learning the Nazi march was called the goose step, and I immediately felt bad for the poor goose. Why should the goose be forever associated with the piece of shit Nazis? And have you looked closely at Nazis performing the goose step? Looks nothing like a goose. The Nazi goose step involves kicking your legs forward extremely high and not bending your knees. Geese have backwards-pointing knees that bend when they walk. It's the worst animal impression ever. Nazis, fantastic at killing Jews, not so good at reconstructive knee surgery, getting their knees to face backwards. And it's a shame, because if you Nazis wouldn't have killed all the Jews, a tribe well known for producing the best doctors in the world, you would have had a huge pool of orthopedic specialists able to perform backwards knee surgery replacement, so you could have goose stepped like Mother Goose, the goose that stole the golden egg, or an icy cold ball of frozen gray goose but you Dumkov's killed all the Jews, thereby killing all the good doctors. No wonder you Aryan schmucks lost the fucking war. Anyway, so I've had the pups for a few months now. Really happy and enjoying both, and they get along great, but I noticed each pup has an issue. First, even though help appears tough on the outside, deep down he's very sensitive, so if you yell at him, he pees all over the place. You come home after work, and he's on the couch eating one of your shoes, so you yell, God damn it, help, and he starts peeing like a racehorse. And as you know from episode one of Berg's Brain, never understood why it's always got to pee like a racehorse. You never hear anyone say, I got to pee like a Clydesdale, or I got to piss like a Shetland pony. And while help has urination issues... Fire has his own excretion problems as he's always constipated, and there's numerous times where a small dingleberry gets stuck hanging on his butt and he stares longingly up at me to pluck it off like I'm a puppy proctologist. And speaking of proctology, who in their right mind would choose that specialty? No one chooses to be a proctologist. Someone chooses you and that someone is the dean of med school after you've gotten caught diddling his daughter and you're given the choice of expulsion or a residency in the ass ward. Well, this constipation and peeing everywhere dynamic had to change. So I took help and fired to the vet. And the vet was this very, very attractive woman. So she puts help up on the metal table, minus that crinkly white butcher paper humans get to sit on at the doctor's office, like you're 179 pounds of pastrami on a deli scale. And the first thing she notices is helps AVAB tattoo and asks me if I know what it stands for. I stammered, Uh, Could be wrong, but believe the volunteer at the animal shelter said it stands for All Vets Are Blessings? Isn't that sweet, she said as she stroked Helps' ears. So she tells me Helps' peeing thing, especially when he's yelled at, is most likely related to fear Help experienced when living in a shelter, and it's really important not to raise your voice or yell out his name, as that often triggers the peeing. She says, do your best to remain calm, use a soothing tone of voice, and he should be fined. I said, got it. No more yelling at help. So she hands help back to me and says, Okay, let's see if we can figure out Fire's constipation issue. As she places a surgical glove on her right hand and inserts it into Fire's rear gently massaging his rectal cavity. Fire's tiny euphoric head slowly, gently swivels around. His dark black eyes look back longingly at the sexy vet as if he's died and gone to heaven, drools slowly dripping from the corners of his chicleted toothed mouth, salivating in a way that Pavlov had in mind as he moans, Chihuahua! And then my eyes drift lower, and I can't help but notice that fire... My little seven-pound chihuahua is sporting one of those uniquely dog-bright-pink-breast-cancer-awareness-colored boners that protrudes to a discomforting yet envious length when aroused during an unwarranted and awkward leg-humping, or in this case, a riveting and romantic rectal exam by a hot vet. While this was rather uncomfortable for me, fortunately spying a bright-pink-breast-cancer-awareness-colored dog wiener was clearly nothing new for the vet, and she remained completely professional, avoiding the unavoidable, turned to me and said... From what I can feel in there, fire appears to be pretty darn backed up. I stared into fire's drifting euphoric eyes, glanced back at the sexy vet and chimed in, excuse me doc, but I've been kind of backed up myself lately. you think you could check me out? And she yelled, help! And help, peed all over the place. This episode of Berg's Brain is dedicated to my nephew Justin's wife, Lauren. Lauren took a terrible fall at the end of 2020, resulting in major paralysis. But in true Lauren fashion, she's working her ass off and beginning to show some positive signs as she begins to regain movement throughout her body. If you'd like to help out Lauren and Justin, please visit their GoFundMe page, where in addition to their own support, they're raising money for others who have experienced similar devastating injuries. The site is Donate to Great Lakes Catastrophic Injury Fund in honor of Lauren Berg, helphopelive.org. Lauren, Justin, You're true inspirations to all of us, and I promise to keep Berg's Brain going until you're back on your feet, and hopefully for many years after that. We love you. Well, thanks for listening to Berg's Brain, and hope you enjoyed the ride. Special thanks to my close friend, musical director and guitar legend Jeff Peapod Miller. Thanks to the incredibly talented Berg's Brain graphic designer Claire Schiblerort. And if you like Berg's Brain, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Berg's Brain can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, and all the major podcast hosting platforms. Please check out our website at bergsbrain.buzzsprout.com, and if you want to touch base, email me at bergsbrainpod at gmail.com. Peapod, play us out on your new number one single that's taking Czechoslovakia by storm, The Doggy-Style Diddy, or as I call it, Chihuahua! <laughs>